0: Welcome to the Just Believe Podcast. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. Look, this podcast is raw, authentic, and unscripted. We're going to turn these hard conversations into conversations. This is the only way we can break the stigma when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention. Now, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review, baby. I need five stars. Sit back enjoy the show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of the Just Believe Podcast today. I am honored to meet this lovely young woman who has a powerful story that I know little parts of. I'm not gonna share it with you guys. Obviously, I want her to share it. Lauren, Uh, Laverne,
1: how are you doing? I am well, Herbie. I appreciate you having me on tonight. Thank you. Thank you for doing this.
0: Uh, You know, I know we had to, we we was going back and forth with the tag of the scheduling, but you know what, I always feel like the universe is always gonna make it happen when it's the right time.
1: The Um, right time, yeah. The right
0: time. There's some things in life that we can't always, you know, plan accordingly, and just yeah. let it go. So I, I I learned that over the course of my life. And I that's my philosophy I've just been using. But would you that's please, a good
1: one to have.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Please introduce yourself to, to the listeners.
1: Yeah. So I am Laverne Gordon. I am the founder of an organization called Love Life Now Foundation. And we promote year round awareness around the issue of domestic violence. Um, the issue is near and dear to my heart, because I'm a two time survivor of the issue once a child witness um, growing up in, on the island of Trinidad, um, where I witnessed our father brutally abuse our mother. Um, and even though I said it would never be me, um, it ended up being me. And I fell into an abusive relationship at the age of 21, young adult, after that relationship lasted two years. And so, fast 10 years after that relationship happened, I uh, founded the Love Life Now Foundation. And I've been doing the work now for about 10 years. And uh, now uh, it's at the point where I just released a book. Um, It's called The Legacy He Left Me and it chronicles my story. Um, with being a child witness, how easy it can be to become an adult survivor because of your past experience with the issue. Um, and then, you know, sort of given the red flags, what escaping looks like, what, you know, thriving after abuse looks like. And so I'm just really privileged to be able to, to do that, Herbie. I don't take it lightly. Um, and to, to sit here and talk to you and your the listeners about you know, what the ramifications are of being in those types of relationships and who the focus should be on is something that I'm really, really humbled by to be able to do. Cause I know a lot of people still are still trying to find their voice. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I
0: first and foremost, I'm sorry that you had to experience that as a child and even as a young adult in a and a woman as well. That's no one wants to do that. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I should say you was able to. To get out that situation and change your life, uh, what you're doing and yeah. sharing your story,
1: yeah, you're a superhero. Sure. You're oh, a superhero. I,
0: if if nobody ever told you that, I want to be the first one to tell you that that you are because it takes I, it takes it takes bravery.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. It certainly doesn't happen overnight, um, and I you know a lot of folks see the the today um, version of what this issue has meant for me, but uh, certainly the journey has not. It was not easy and even as I sit here today, um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the, the, the the mental part of it um because it, it's still it's still it's still with me the trauma of that of those experiences still still walk with me and I'm probably gonna walk with it for the rest of my life but um and and you know I, I know we'll talk about that later but yeah I I'm now finding ways to deal with it as it pops up and rears its ugly head so thank uh, you I,
0: I, well I'm glad that you okay, you know what let me learn how to deal with it and learn how to heal that. that's another leap in That's a, a whole step other yeah. Leap. yeah 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 no but it's brave it's um but what age was you when it's like when you first witnessed domestic violence
1: from the very time that I knew myself um I think the earliest memory that I have is at about six or seven years old where I again watched our father brutally abusing our mom and and I talk I say brutal because I try to put a sort of a you know a picture to what this this thing looks like behind closed doors. It isn't, you know, a slap here and there. This was full-on attacks with machetes that he would use um, sometimes. And then there were beer bottles that he would break and launch at her. So obviously the the, the sharp parts would catch her 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 body um, and stab her with sometimes. So this was stuff that he never hid to do. Um, and this was our complete normal. So it was myself and my, my four other siblings, so five of us, and I was the middle child. Um, and my two older siblings were probably seven years uh, my senior. So by the time I came along, they're already in their like early teens. Um, and I'm seeing the brunt of the child abuse that they're getting from him as well. And I'm saying to myself, my God, I don't want any of what they're getting. I don't want what my older siblings are getting and I don't want what my mom is getting. So let me try to navigate what he wants from me. As much as possible. So I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do the chores. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to excel in school as much as I can. I'm going to be the smart kid because that's what, that's what, that's the messaging that I saw or that I saw that he was giving to my older siblings. So I tried my best and I sure did. I did, you know, I, you know, I tried to mirror also him because he was smart. He was educated. He had a college trade school degree right and this is the 80s in trinidad i was born in 77 i'm giving my age no problem don't even um, look
0: like it don't even hey, look like I'll it i'll take
1: that i receive it in <laughs> jesus name i take it <laughs> 44 coming up this year but i'll take that so but like i said um you know i'm watching him brutally do these things. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be smart like him. I'm going to, you know, go to school, be articulate, be, you know, be well-rounded when I speak, all of this stuff, just so I won't get beaten. Um, And it, it, for the most part, it did. I, you know, barely get any beatings from him. And then by the time I was 15, he had gotten a letter from my grandparents, my mom's parents who lived in the States since the seventies. And they asked if he would allow me allow me to come to the States to finish high school because they really believed that I had a lot of potential. And he did. I was very surprised. And he let me migrate to the States. And I started high school in Boston, Massachusetts, and did well once again, you know, to try to, again, please him and, you know, obviously my family members. And then I had to go back to Trinidad to get my permanent residency status at the time. And so by that time, we're now 18. I'm 18, I should say. My older siblings are older. My youngest siblings, two boys behind me. There was only one other girl and I was my oldest sister, but three boys and two girls. And we all were over him putting his hands on our mother. So by the time I came back um, and I saw that he was priming up for his first attack on upon my return to, uh, against her, I was like, listen, I stepped in between them and I said, listen, you can say whatever you want, but don't you dare touch her. Okay. And then I called my brother because I physically can't stop him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I didn't know if he was going to lash out at me for coming at him that way. Um, And my older brother came and he's taller than him now. And he's like, you know, g- gone up against him already before. And we both like stood up for her. And at that point, Herbie, there was a turning point because he realized now we're all not standing for him to do this to her. And he began and I, I believe he began to see that he was losing power and control over a mother. He couldn't just full on attack yeah. her whenever he felt like, especially if we were around. So two years later, um, my grandparents had filed uh, for uh, permanent residency for her and my two youngest siblings and myself. And my father let her go because again, he realized there was not much more that he could do physically to her uh, once we were around. it. so he let her go. We migrated to the States, myself, her, and my two younger siblings. Um, and I'm now two years behind my senior, um, my, my, my peers in college who are, you know, they've been in college now for two years. And so um, I started Suffolk University at night, which is a very prestigious university here in Boston for um, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be an, an, you know, an advertising and I wanted to be in advertising. and So I picked Suffolk university and started working an entry-level, entry-level job in corporate America. And I thought I was doing well for myself. And, um, unfortunately I met this guy who at the onset, he was everything out of a like hallmark movie, like charming. Articulate, like he swept me off my feet. Like he had all the lines in the book for a sister, okay? And I fell for each and every one of them. I was swooning, all right? And we went on all these dates and things were great first three months. From three months into the relationship, he called me and was very, very angry that I hadn't checked in with him that particular morning. Um, and this was one of the big red flags that I had missed at the time, because uh, he would call me every single morning, at least three to four times a day. Well, in that period, from me getting dressed, leaving the house and going to work. And it wasn't until later that I realized that he was doing this to make sure he kept tabs on me, right? Not, not,
0: not doing it just to, hey, I'm checking not in. Because I'm happy. You care, you care not you, because you care, not
1: because he's so in love. And I took it as that, Right. And this particular morning when I did, not because I was sick and I thought, oh, to myself, I'm like, oh, we'll talk sometime during the day. We always do. That to him meant that I had stayed home to cheat. So he showed up at my house after he called me, hung up the phone in my ear and then barged into my 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 room that I was staying in and started rummaging through my stuff, looking in the closet, under the bed, under the sheets. Real paranoid behavior. So I'm now I'm getting scared because I've never seen him like this. And the guy was light skinned, okay? <laughs> so his face would be red. Yeah. And I'm like, this is like some Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing happening here because this is crazy. And the more I tried to appease him, to let him know, listen, I love you and only you, it's just us, the more I rate he got. And so it ended up that he was just so pissed. I'm sitting at the edge of the bed and he comes up to me and he said, I knew you were too good to be true. And then he slapped me so hard and stormed off. I sat there, I'm seeing stars from the slap because that's how hard he slapped me. And I'm like, "What what did I do? Like I told the truth. Like, I don't understand what I did to make this get to that point. And then I called myself initially. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't do anything. We're not married. We don't have kids together. I'm done. Um, and for a whole weekend, I had turned off my phone. I didn't want to hear from him if he had called to apologize. Um, and I was out that, you know, maybe three days later, he came by and he dropped off two dozen purple roses. I didn't even know that that, that was the domestic violence awareness color at the time. I didn't even know the word domestic yeah. violence, right? Because
0: back in the day, nobody was nobody was talking about this.
1: Nobody was nobody. talking about and, Like you've and seen so, it,
0: but nobody would say nothing.
1: Yeah. No, I, you would see it, right? And so in the neighborhood that I grew up, it was more than accepted. Mm-hmm. Many people, if my mother was getting even beat in front of the house, in our yard, people would come out and watch in horror, but then they wouldn't stop him. And that was was, even as a child, I'd be like, why aren't you helping her? Yes, Men would yes. watch his friends. But the problem that I didn't understand at the point at that time was that they were also doing it in their house. So who are they to come and tell another man how to run his joint, right? So Unfortunately, um, that
0: was part of the, the community was, back in the day. It,
1: completely yeah. acceptable, yeah. right? And so, again, the, the domestic violence season is even a term point for us at that point. And so, like I said, when this happened to me and he came with the flowers, I turned on my phone. There were a slew of messages from him. I'm sorry. I love you. Call me. The card on the flower said, I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry. Call me. Like all of these. And so I finally gave him the floor. I called him. And in that apology, he basically confessed that I made him feel that way. I made him do what what he did because he loved me so much that he couldn't stand the thought of me being with someone else. And so he overreacted and he's sorry. But even within that apology at that point, I didn't even realize that he was deflecting blame and placing blame on me. I caused him to do that. So I listened to him, didn't recognize that. Again, another flag. I accepted the apology, you know, and that turned into almost two years of abuse. I mean, he upped the ante every single time after that. But, you know, I hear a lot of the times people ask, how do women, or men fall into these types of relationships? Like, I would never fall into that type of, people say that, right? Like, I would, I could never be me, right? She must be weak. And I can tell you that was not, I, I was, it's I consider myself smart. Yeah, no, I, I was a strong, yeah. independent woman that, like, this should have never been me. Yeah. But here I was, because in that apology her, Herbie, I equated what had happened to me with what had happened to my mother. And I said to myself, you know what? It's not as bad. He didn't beat me the way my father beats my mother. It was just a slap. So you, you know, learned and to beat, accept it. Listen, and he went to elaborate lengths to apologize. And he said he wasn't going to do it again. What else am I going to go by? And that right there, accepting that apology turned into almost two years of abuse until I got to my breaking point. And I said, I had, I had had enough. Um, The last night he beat me, I was now living in a studio apartment, my studio apartment that he would frequent many nights and, or days. And um, he had come in and I knew from just from his demeanor that he was going to start something, right? I knew the the, the routine, right? That was going to get taken out on me. And so I was just like, oh my God, in my mind, I'm like, okay, how long, what, how long is this going to last? Right? Like, let's just be over with it. And so, um, he comes in and he's looking through a bunch of books that had moved with me for many, many years. I was an avid reader of books and one particular book he picked up was by, uh Terry McMillan was waiting to exhale that Whitney Houston movie. And, um, I had read that book cover to cover many times when, since I, I had moved a couple of times well, and out pops a picture, and it, it fell on the floor and he picked it up and he looked at it. And I swear to God, I, if the devil was standing in front of me, it was there at that. It was him at that point. And because the look on his face just became like the worst that i had ever seen him really angry. And then he flung the picture at me and he said, I'm going to kill you tonight. And he walked off and went into my kitchen And I'm sitting there and I, you know, pick up the picture and I immediately died inside because I I knew what he was thinking. This was a picture of me and my ex-boyfriend from Trinidad way before I had moved to the States. And it was us sitting on the, you know, the beach, hugged up on the sand, looking very happy. And that is a picture that i had used as a bookmark initially when I moved to the States. But We had since broken up. We tried to do the long distance thing. It didn't work. And I tried to explain that to him. He wasn't having it. He came back into the bedroom area with a knife. And this was the first time that he had grabbed for a weapon because other times he was using his fist about my body. And so he said, I'm going to slice your throat and nobody's going to find you. Um, And I believed him at that point because at that, you know, again, I'm not, am isolated from family and friends 2 years later um i don't talk to my mom or my brothers because they don't understand our relationship um friends and family i other friends and family i stopped communication with because he was always sort of tracking who i was talking to how long i was talking to them whether or not i was talking about him um any guy friends that i had they were all wiped out of the picture because he believed that i was flirting with them Um, It just was a hot mess. And so that night when he said what he said, I I truly believed I was going to die that night. And so he straddles me on on my day bed, puts the knife up against my throat and says, I can slit your throat at any time. Um, And then he proceeds to start punching me about the body, upper torso, upper hip. He puts the knife down, he spits in my face, he's strangling me, Um, there was at one point I, you know, I passed out and I came through and he was still like punching me, yelling. And then there were times he would stop and he would kind of pace the floor, um, going back and forth, yelling profanities at me and then come back again. So this started at like nine o'clock the night before, and it didn't stop till like two o'clock the next morning. So he would stop, go, stop, go. It was a night of torture, right? Um, and then about four o'clock that morning, I felt the sharpest pains I had ever felt from this particular attack. This was the worst by far. right? And um, I'm saying to myself, okay, Laverne, you have a choice. You can lay here. Uh, I've seen enough movies. Maybe I'm bleeding internally. Maybe one of my ribs are broken. I don't know. So you have a choice. Do you stay here? And if something's really wrong, he leaves you. And like he said, nobody's going to find you for days. Or do you get up and you go get help? I decided to go get help. So I quietly, because when he was done beating me at two o'clock that morning, he laid down next to me like nothing had happened and went to sleep. He was was tired. Um, And so at about four o'clock, I quietly got dressed, tiptoed out of that apartment. I lived on the third, third floor of this apartment building, but it was located directly next to a train station. So there were always cabs in front of there. So my plan was, is that I would go down catch a cab and go to the nearby ER hospital that was less than five minutes from where I was in my building um and I did I caught a cab and we got to the first lights there's only two lights between where I live and the hospital and um he realized I was gone and followed uh in the cab, followed the cab to the light and I I said to the driver I said listen if you if you let me out of this cab because he's yelling get out of the cab and all this stuff I said if you let me out of this cab I am dead. said so i'm begging you if you have to run the red light run it please get me to the hospital and the driver thankfully listened to me um and when he saw that the cab pulled into the hospital that's when he sped away so i can go on and talk i don't want to give too much because it's all in the book yeah 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 but the idea is is that for the first time he thought that i was going to say something to somebody and that made him run away initially um it didn't stop there, obviously. unfortunately. I didn't give him up at the hospital. Um, I initially lied and said that I had fell in the shower because I didn't want anybody to to look at me as a victim or as weak or as and shame. There was just too much attached to what was going on. And I had worked so hard to, to be away from the stereotype of weak, who I thought was a victim, right? Which was my mom. My mom at the time back then was uneducated financially dependent on my father. And I had worked so hard to be not that. And then here I was still getting the same type of treatment. So I just didn't want any shame associated with the issue. I didn't want to be blamed. Um and then the, the you know, doctor comes in and he's like, who did this to you? Because these injuries aren't consistent with you falling in the shower. They right he could see and yeah. you know I I did confess at that point, but I told him I said, please don't call the police Um, because I I don't want any any trouble, I don't want any drama. Quite frankly, I was still in love with him, but I just wanted the abuse to stop. And I felt that if he knew that I had sought help, that he would go away. That did not happen. Um, Leaving these types of relationships are the most dangerous times for victims. Uh, Too often you hear in the news, I know people hear in the news that um, she was getting ready to leave and take the kids and he killed her and the kids. Or she was getting ready to file a divorce and he killed her. Um, or she, he was getting ready to leave and she snapped. Right. So there is, there's like, again, there's no black and white way yeah. to deal with this issue. And it isn't a black and white thing that you see in the news story or a magazine story. And that's it. There's like a, before a buildup, there's the incident, the attack, really bad attack. And then there's the after how it the ripple effect affects children, families, um, communities. Right. And so, um, I certainly again was no exception, and when you when you read the book, I, you know one of the things that I, I I really try to point out is that there is a better way to do this in in terms of you know getting help um, once you realize that you do want to leave. And so the book really serves as a guide um, as to what the signs are uh, in these types of relationships. It, it serves as a guide on how to leave and exit these types of relationships safely because it can be done. It serves as a guide about how to, or gives inspiration on how to thrive after abuse um, because there is life after abuse. You, yes. you, you can't have it. And so um, again, I am just privileged because again, to be able to have started the foundation 10 years later, to be able to do this awareness work and strictly focus on educating people on what this issue looks like from behind the scenes has been an absolute privilege for me. And I do not take it for granted. And now the book, the Legacy He Left Me um, is out in pre-release status. Um, folks can get it at thelegacyheleftme.com. But it's, again, just an extension of the work that we've done now for uh, over 10 years. And just from, again, a personal standpoint um, to really have people understand what this issue looks like from behind the scenes.
0: No, no, powerful story. I'm. I'm thank you for sharing. i always going to say that. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of questions that, that I have to ask. Um, Please you know it, it sucks because most childhood traumas happen like somewhere like you know as kids mm-hmm. and they say like when we're um from when we're born until we're about 7 we process everything yes and it, you process that and you're like oh no i'm going to be the opposite of it but unfortunately as you got older you probably was like okay well this as you said you compared it it's from your mom bad. it's not mm-hmm. that bad he's not doing this and that what my mom got but it's still bad um. Mm-hmm. once you realize okay this is a bad situation that I'm in mm-hmm. did you ever think about telling anybody from the first time he put his hands on you or no
1: no no because at the onset what was in my head was that my family even my mom I I believe that they would come they would say to me how could you let yourself fall into this type of situation when you know what I went through, right? When you know what your mother went through, that's the first thing I thought people would say to me. Clearly it wasn't true, but in my head, I believe that. I was supposed to be the smart one of the bunch, right? I, I had it together. There was no way that I was supposed to be ever in this setting. So no, it never, never was a thing for me to tell anybody that this was happening. Um, I mean, if, if 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 any amount of circumstances could have led me, led to me probably still being in that relationship. But God didn't have it that way. No, and I thank no, God. He had he, a, did,
0: he had a better plan for you. He
1: had a He had another plan. And so mm-hmm. um, it wasn't toward till until, you know, towards the end, there was a friend of mine a high school friend of mine that lived directly behind the building. So my, the the building that I lived in was at the very, very main intersection at the corner. And then, so her house was on the side street behind our building. And so when she moved into that apartment on that floor or whatever, and we reconnected, she saw right? Cause that was the closest thing I had. Like I, he didn't feel threatened by her. So I was allowed to talk to her if he saw me, you know, she can, but I, you know, I would have to cut the conversation short. And so she saw not, you know, I didn't have to say anything is what I want to say. I didn't have to say anything to her. So, and she, she, already knew. she knew yeah. that things weren't on the up and up as much as I tried to gloss over that. Oh, he's great. And you know, he's such a great boyfriend, like she, she knew. And so by the time, as they say, when God forgive me, when shit hit the fan, um, she, she, she was already in, in the know. And she was like, how can I help? And that's, that's the exact type of support that I needed. And again, also what the book talks about how to be a support to people on the outside, looking in, even if you've never experienced this issue, how to have to be a non-judgmental ear right how to get yourself educated on the issue or, or get familiar with the resources in your area um so that when and if you're faced with this you're not saying oh my god Look, you should leave tomorrow because that's not that's not how it works. It's not realistic.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not a movie. They make it seem like it's a movie. It's not a movie. Yeah, no, no, no. That's
1: not how it works. There's not a there's not a wad of cash that you know many victims have set aside. You know to run away in the middle of the night and never come back. A lot of folks are sometimes dependent on their abuser, right? There's kids involved, so you know even though he beats me, he takes care of the kids. Even though he beats me, he pays the bills. Even though he beats me. I have nowhere else to stay. I have a shelter. Here. I have shelter. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I definitely. Okay. Get it. No, I. I love the fact that you mentioned support. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like with domestic violence, well, any community, like support is a big thing. Like just mm-hmm. in general. Um, yeah. when I was going through like my mental health challenges of, mm-hmm. of suicidal ideation. Yeah. I had to get a real support team to understand me uh, mm-hmm. that support team during that time was my ex-girlfriend who is now my wife. Right. Cause she oh, understood me and yeah. right? she understood like, okay, he's having a moment. Mm-hmm. Let me, let, let him just calm Be. down. Yeah. And then we could talk about it. Yeah. Not too many other, not too many people understood that. Right. Yeah. And, yep. and Like, as you said, like in my mind, I'm like, man, if I tell somebody, man, I'm about to kill myself, I felt like they're gonna judge me. Well, you got the perfect life, and then all this. But then when when I found that right support where yeah. people wasn't together during the time, mm-hmm. that's so how I was like, okay, this is that non-judgmental where I can really open up and be vulnerable. I can exactly I can, and that is key for whatever community that you're in,
1: right? Or like, any situation that you're yeah, going yes, through. Yes, right. Yes. I say to folks, because you know, I'll tell you, Herbie, in writing the book, um, it dredged up a lot. So I've 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 shared my story many times right um and through many avenues and people you know when they heard I was writing a book they're like oh it's gonna be so easy you've, you've been on CBS this morning you know you've you've shared on Huffington Post like it's gonna be easy I thought it was gonna be easy if I'm being quite honest but then October came around I started I gotta tell you by November I was in place
0: yep I knew it because people don't understand. I got to write back that pain that I experienced.
1: Listen to dredge up those details. And and it's not pretty.
0: It's not a pretty situation.
1: No, it's not. And so to to go back and, and, and again, put this to paper to, again, I've shared many times, but I've shared pieces that I've been, I got, I got comfortable with. Now I can sit with you uh, and for many times, I've been able to sit with 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 folks and and speak without being a a, a, a wet eyed mess sharing my story. I'm 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 good doing that, right? I'm okay with doing that. But those details, anger, sadness, happy like oh, there yeah. was all this stuff melded together, and I knew one by November timeframe, and then the holidays were approaching, and it was like I'm supposed to be happy and. I, I, and I'm reliving I, this I experience. Ne- yeah, yeah, I wasn't necessarily it. in that space. And so I knew I couldn't deal with this on my own. And I'm like, I shared with our followers and said, I'm I, i going to see therapy. This is this is where I'm at right now in this writing process. I'm yeah, going to see my therapy. My heart
0: is warmed oh. by you saying I went to go see people. Because a lot of my my friends and some of my followers are like, hey, man, when are you going to write a book? And I'm like, oh it's easy for you to say this, yes. but there's so many details. Like, as you said, like I didn't share my story on numerous podcasts, lives, um, interviews, whatever you want to call them, but even just with people. And I'm like, I shared some parts of it. I didn't yes. share the details of it. Now, like I can give you a, a detail of a certain situation, right, exactly. of a certain moment of it, exactly. but like to, to really write it out, it's it's painful.
1: It, I mean, and that's not for painful. nothing. And you're right; you're absolutely right. It's painful, but it's it was also cathartic to get it out. But again, it's out now. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. What do mm-hmm. I do with this? And so, I, I say to everybody, anybody that you see on a daily basis, they're walking around with stuff. That they have, that they haven't dealt with necessarily. They Some just people, didn't not everybody. Yet.
0: They don't know how they to unpack it. Yep. that
1: stuff. Yep. And so, for me to be able to sit down, I finally found one. And and, that, and this is what I'll say about therapy or finding a therapist: not everyone is cut out for you. Okay, this is not like going in the store and picking up a uh, bread. You look at the date and then you're good. No, this is <laughs> no, going for the oranges, right? Yeah. Or the bananas. Make this is sure. a relationship. It's a relationship. It's a relationship yeah. to make sure bet you have the best one that works with your specific deal. Mm-hmm. Okay? You talk to them. They give free consultations. Make sure you vibe, right? When you talk, right? Yeah. It's all free, right? And now it's... with the pandemic, a lot of health insurances are waiving copays. Yeah. So you even got to pay a copay. Yeah. This, this is why I tell around. my followers.
0: It's a, it's a language
1: shop around.
0: Uh, it's a language. If they're not speaking your language, you got to go. Cause if you can't speak bilingual, we can't communicate. You know what I mean? If, that's like, if, if somebody's coming up to me talking in Spanish and I don't know Spanish, I can't communicate with them. Same thing with therapy. Hey, let's make sure we, if I use slang, you get it. If I use, right. if I use a couple of like, like uh Bible verses, you get it. Like, you know Spot what on. I mean? So, so people got to get that.
1: Spot on. Right. So it was important for me to find a, a, a therapist of color. Okay, so we can kick it. So I, okay, okay, yeah. right. And she, it turns out she actually knows people in the Trinidadian community. So when I hit back to the to the island, right, she kind of has a sense of where I'm going. That was very important to me. So again, same thing. Like I said, don't shop around. That yeah. that, that, that that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's no, it. No, it's perfect. It's
0: perfect. Um, so there's something before we go and and whatnot. I want to get this message out. If there's someone that's listening to your story mm-hmm. and like, man, I'm in this situation, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I look homeboys taking care of the kids. He got, you yep. got the roof over the head,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I'm, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I'm putting my kids before me, but my happiness is pushed back. What, what can I do to make me happy and get out this situation? First
1: of all, if there's kids involved, you're not doing them any service it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a notch on your shoulder to keep your family together and stick out with the abuse. Oh, well, he never hit me in front of them. all your kids are smarter than you think. They pick up on things that you wouldn't begin. and I'm talking as a, a from a, a firsthand point of view um granted that we saw full-fledged our father didn't never hid from us e- but even when she got a verbal assault in the middle of the night, it wasn't a physical assault and she woke up the next morning. She didn't have to say a word. I didn't, there was not, didn't necessarily have to be a bruise. Pick up, kids pick up on your behaviors. Okay. And they take on your hurt. They then take that to school. They then take that to them in adult relationships. And you say to yourself, oh my God, they never saw anything that I went through. How is it that they're like this now? Whether they become a victim or an abuser. Because oftentimes children that are in these types of homes where they're witnessing in this, whether or not you you think they're seeing it or not, they go on to become victims or abusers. It is a learned behavior one way or the other, okay? 90% of the time. So please leave for the kids. That's That's one, right? Or think about leaving for the kids. When you do decide that you're leaving, whether or not there's kids involved, again, it is not a black and white situation where you just pick up and leave reach out and speak to a domestic violence advocate in your area if you're not ready to leave right away they can help you safety plan to your specific uh situation so that may mean getting uh citizenship or you know immigration papers because you have no papers and you're, you're living with the abuser who's a citizen okay they may have told you if you speak up you will get deported that's simply not true, okay? The police don't talk to ICE. They are there to come and protect you. So that's number one, okay? Talk to an advocate about safety planning. Talk to an advocate about what other resources are there for you. Oh, well, he has a high-powered attorney and he has a lot of money. There's legal advocacy through these agencies that they, so that should not be a deterrent. They can help you walk you through the, the, the court system. Um, You know, I, I don't have a job, again, what is right for you in that moment. Maybe it means building up a cash balance over time. Maybe it means getting a financial grant from the agency that you're reaching out to, to get you out your feet. And so even if you end up in shelter, they help you get housing stabilization. So the goal for you when you reach into a shelter is not to just be there and be there. It's to you to get out back on your own. They want to get you back out on your own independently, safely. Okay. And so just thinking about saying something is the start of the light at the end of the tunnel. It won't be a a walk in rose petals at first, but the peace of mind that you will have after you've left, my God, it counts for so much. It's gold. No amount of money can buy that. It is priceless. To have your safety and your kids being safe, not uh, not having the threat of them potentially mirror, mirroring the behaviors that they've witnessed already, oh my God, you've given them a life or you're potentially going to give them a life that is, again, free of abuse. Um, so so my advice is to, to to think about speaking up. That's where abusers start to lose their power and control from the moment you speak up. That's the moment that they that power begins to diminish from over you. Um, so that's that's always my advice. If you are looking for the domestic violence agency in your area, I urge you to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's one 800 799 safe one 800 799 safe You can also call and talk to me. I have a hotline where you can call and text. You don't have to pick up the phone again during the times of COVID as it is right now many people are social distancing with their abusers and they can't necessarily pick up the phone to talk freely you can text me 888-LLN-9876 again 888-LLN-9876 and you will get me Um, and so we point people in the right direction for help Herbie. Um, We also have what's called the Get Safe Fund so if you are looking to leave you may have called resources and they're not available in terms of like shelter because unfortunately, so the thing with shelter is the one thing that I do want to leave folks with is that when people hear shelter, domestic violence shelter, they think it's a big open room with beds with a bunch of people that they don't know. That's the idea that I had of shelters as well, um, but it's not that. Domestic violence shelters are usually set in house in houses, big houses, and it's typically seven to twelve families that they have, and each person has their own bedroom, so you do have your privacy when you go into one of these shelters. You do share the common areas like the kitchen or the living room. The children have play spaces oftentimes in these houses, so they really want to give you a sense of dignity, right? And again, get you back out on your feet um, on your own and doing and doing it safely. So. Please, I urge you, if the idea of shelter is what's deterring you, don't let it. Please, I'm telling you, they are wonderful spaces, many of them. I've been to them. I volunteered at them. Um, and it's somewhere that I would have wanted to go had I known that it wasn't a big open room with beds with a bunch of women that I didn't know. So please, please, please speak up. Even if it's, if if it's a, 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 you don't wanna to talk to your family member because you feel like they might judge you. Again, seek a third party, someone that you trust or, or someone someone far removed from the situation to talk to.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate You're that. Welcome. All this will be in the show notes and in the description on YouTube as well, I promise. Nice. Um, But unfortunately we gotta go. Please yeah. let everyone know where to find you, where to buy your book and what you're doing.
1: Yes. So again, love, you can find us on the web at lovelifenow.org. That's the foundation that's all centered around awareness and the Get Safe Fund if you know anybody that needs it. And the book is me.com. Again, me.com It is in pre-order status as we speak. Um, and it's going to be launched officially on shelves everywhere on June 1st.
0: Nice. I love it. I love it. All right. Unfortunately, guys, we have to go. Laverne, this was this, this was this was beautiful. Thank you for this. You taught me <laughs> a lot, you. and and hopefully you taught the listeners a lot. Until then, see you next time, guys. Peace. Today's episode of the Just Believe podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're currently going through a mental health challenge. Don't be scared to look in the show notes and reach out to those resources. If people are going to put labels on you, tell them, look, labels are made for jars, not people. Whatever obstacles that's facing in front of you, you can't overcome them as long as you just believe. Until then, I'll see you next week. Peace.